So Luke chapter 2, we're going to read 20 verses and then I'm going to focus on one this morning. The story goes, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they has, had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's things in life that happen that take time to sort of figure out. They take time to process. There can be events that happen sort of spontaneously or in some immediacy. Um, Oftentimes those are like accidents or diagnoses or or something that that is just so abrupt that it's almost like the shock to the system where we don't really get to process it while we're in it. Sometimes afterwards it takes a lot of time. Some are a little different in that they, they sort of are things that we're looking forward to and anticipating in the future and, and where there's a lot of work, time, effort, and energy that go into thinking about them and considering them. Things um, often like, like weddings and here in the text we have the birth of a child or um, other things like that. And when they come, when they finally get here, uh, even the event itself and leading up to it, we still need time to process it. I've had a couple of those in my life. 
there's a number that I could talk about. Certainly my wedding day, I could talk a little bit about the birth of each of my children, the, the uh, times of, of you know becoming a pastor and different events and being a pastor. But one I particularly remember in a very powerful way, and I don't know why, because it really, you know, in some ways isn't that important to me, but I remember it sort of hitting me as a process, and that is my high school graduation. I graduated from high school in a small high school in Ontario, Canada, and you've, if you've been to high school, some of you know are in that process or anticipating it. Some of you know it well, and, and you're really glad it's over. Uh, but you go through that, that process of, of years in high school. In Canada, it's five years. You can make fun of me, but that's just the way it goes. Deal with it. You go through five years of high school, and then suddenly the day comes, graduation day, and you get a diploma, and it's done. And on that particular day, our tradition in my small little high school just outside of Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, was that all the graduates, there were only 33 of us, we gathered in a local restaurant. It was actually in an Amish community. We gathered in this restaurant with 33 of us. They had a room for us. And and we all came separately. And then we would leave there and go to our graduation celebration over at the high school. And I remember going there and, and I had just got, and maybe you, you've had this too, I got my graduation suit and I looked good. Oh man, did I look good. I weighed 175 pounds, which is one of pounds ago. It was, it was like an olive green, which was really cool in that day. The tie was, was, was it, I just, I looked good. And I walked up, and you go to the hostess center, and, they, and she looks at me, and she says, you're here for the graduation party? I said, yes, I am. She escorts me back. We sit with a group of my, my, my high school classmates, and we talk, we laugh, we tell some stories. There's teachers who are hosting us, and they're saying things like, I don't know, you come to that point in high school where after you graduate, teachers act differently towards you, and that's what was happening. And, and then we get done with the meal, and then I'm leaving this restaurant and I get in my truck to drive to the school, which is about maybe 10 miles away or so. And I remember that drive so distinctly because it was a drive of sort of, of saying goodbye. I had heard people say to me before that after high school, you don't see some of these people ever again. That ended up to be true. In my case, I left to go to college. I ended up here in California. I have not seen some people from my graduating class after that day. And I remember driving from this place to my school for graduation, sort of in that emotional processing, pondering moment, and having some tears come to my eyes, celebrating some of the things that God had did, but also lamenting some mistakes that were made, and thinking about, okay, now is something else. What happens from this day forward is different. And I'm different because of it. In our story of Christmas, there is no one probably more remarkably who reflects that than Mary. 
And in verse 19 of Luke chapter 2, we get this incredible verse of scripture, something that I'm sure that somehow or other you've heard before, even if you haven't been a part of a faith community. It simply says this, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was in that moment infinitely more so than my drive to my high school graduation. Because if you look back at, we will look back just for a moment at her life over the last year, year and a half, the revolution, the change, the transformation that she experienced because of Jesus made everything from this day forward different. So we focus. But Mary... And Mary, as we have heard already as we've walked through this, is a, a very unique character in the scriptures. One of the, one of the challenges that we have is the tradition that this church is a part of. The Reformed tradition pushed back against some of the traditions of the Catholic church. And those of you who have some idea of what the Catholic faith is often about, Mary is seen with very high regard, in fact. There are prayers that you make to Mary. Um, Hail Mary is one of the things that you do as part of their practices. And unfortunately, I think what happened in the tradition that we are a part of is we pushed back against that and almost made Mary something else than what she is. We, we in essence, tried to bring her further down than what God did because we didn't want her to be held in such high regard as the faith that we were pushing back against. But I think Mary actually has a lot to teach us. I think that Mary is someone if you remember earlier on in the text from Luke chapter 1, it said, generations will call me what? Blessed. We to this day can see that. Mary is blessed because she is this young woman. And you remember, if you were here that day, I had some girls stand up who could have been the age of Mary. This is an incredibly young woman. And she is from a backwoods part of Israel, a part of the world that would be rejected. And she has gone through what is seen by her culture as an illegitimate pregnancy. And now, as a result of her quote-unquote illegitimate pregnancy, she is now a mom. And because she is a mom, again, in that culture, her identity is completely and totally governed by her being a wife and mother. She would not at all been accepted having other professions or other things that she was doing. She was tied up with this event that this son of hers, whom she had carried for nine months, this son was now governing her complete and utter existence. So Mary has a special place, and she actually has a unique place. She's the only one that you will see at the beginning of the Gospels, or the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and at the end, right? She's there at Golgotha. She's there at, at the burial. She's there during that whole process of resurrection, she has a unique view of the entire life of the Son of God while on earth. So for us to give Mary a little bit of her due and learn from her, because as she ponders, does she maybe have something to teach us about who Jesus is? Then the second phrase, she treasured up. But Mary treasured up. 
She treasured up. It meant really, in essence, that she was gathering the beauty that she had experienced now for nine months. She was gathering and bringing it to her and hiding it inside of her heart in places. I almost want to have this, and maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've, you've tried to sort of in, this, in, in different events in your life, seared images into your brain. I'm sure there are mothers out there who, after the birth of one of their children, seared images of them holding this newborn baby. You can still draw that to your brain even now. Or maybe, and this is one of mine, and it's going to embarrass her, but I love her dearly, and I think she'll forgive me and still give me my gifts today. I remember the moment when Kristen walked in the door of the apartment and I saw her for the first time. It's seared. It's a treasure to me. I hold it close. It's special. And I, I wonder on this day, or the day of Christ's birth, or, or in days following, when Mary was talking about treasuring, what was she grabbing onto? What images were she searing? The angel coming to meet her? Elizabeth and her interaction when she greeted, uh, greeted Elizabeth for the first time, and Elizabeth said those powerful words to her? Or maybe it was when Joseph came to her and Joseph said, I was going to do this, but I'm no longer going to do that. You and I will live together as husband and wife. And remember what we said, take you into my home and hold you close. Maybe it was the shepherds coming. Maybe it was these rough gaggle of, 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 uh, of kids coming in, being loud and crazy and joyful because they had just seen the angels. And maybe she took a mental picture of that moment of them bowing on the knee before the baby which she had just birthed. She had much to treasure. And in fact, that's the next phrase, isn't it? All these things. And if we look back again, there's, there's nine months, ten months, however long the story takes between the angels, the angel telling her that she will give birth to a child who is begotten of God, all to the way to this time, uh, now she's in Bethlehem. But I think actually it's much more than that. I think all the things that Mary was treasuring were much greater. In fact, I think we know that. And why do we know it? Because if we look back in Luke chapter 1, we see the Magnificat. Remember the Magnificat? It's Mary's song. And when she sings it, she sings of not just herself. Remember, we walked through that Magnificat. She saw, said of what God had done in her life, but then she also was looking around in the world that she was living in and seeing what God had done, seeing the great reversal of making the humble great and the poor rich and the sick healed. She was seeing all those things, but then she says something even more poignant to our story this morning, and that is, it's about the generations before too, isn't it, God? This pregnancy, this child who is here is, is a promise that you have kept for generations. 
And all these things that Mary was pondering, I wonder if she pondered the stories that she knew because she was a good Jewish girl. And if you're a good Jewish girl, you know the story. You know the story of Israel being in a covenant relationship with Abraham. You know the story of all the patriarchs journeying into Egypt and then out of Egypt. You know the story of King Solomon and David and ultimately the God's, God's punishment of his people in exile. You know the story of the great return and of the prophets who have said over and over and over again, return to your God. He will return to you. And she thinks of that phrase and he will return to you and looks down into her arms. Here he is. All these things were not just the events of Mary's life that she was treasuring. She was treasuring the story of God's covenant promised faithfulness over and over and over again to his people. It's funny because that's actually something, and I hope you're in a place to do this today. Somehow, I hope that there's a generation or two that you're in the room with from your family, from your line, from your lineage. I hope that you can look at a, a child or a parent or a grandparent in the room and maybe, Lord willing, God can move you to treasure what it is that they have given unto you. Maybe, maybe it can be something that you can treasure the blessing of this person in your life and what they have given to you. It's a little bit what Mary was doing. I wonder if she had even images of her own family as part of God's promise. And in doing that, for us to see God's faithfulness from one generation to the next to the next, I think of Andrew Raymond. Andrew Raymond, my grandfather. My grandfather was a very faithful man, a follower of Jesus Christ, and he had blessed me greatly. It's my father's father. He spoke words into my life that to this day I cherish and I live into. Certainly there are other things in my lineage that are not so great. I had a grandfather on my other side who wasn't always the best man in the world. But even despite that, God has shown up in that, and God has redeemed that, and God has transformed that. And for us to see those thoughts today in our family gatherings means that we are a part of treasuring the ponderings that God has given to us. Because God, in the same way that he had been faithful to Israel and Mary and Joseph and his people, is faithful to you and I if we but remember because remembering is actually a command of God. Over and over again, he says, remember my faithfulness. And it's not just to Israel. It's not even to the history of the church, although all those things are true. It is to you. How has God been faithful in showing up? And sure, you can look, and remember we've talked about that, you can look at the messes. You can see them. They're there. They're the messes that you can focus on and say, but God, there's this, but God, there's that. But if you are here today hearing God's words read from his scriptures, I'm saying to you, you are a recipient of God's love on some level. God is showing his faithfulness to you. And if we focus on all the junk and the garbage, we're missing that God continues to speak to us. 
Mary's ponderings moved her to a place of worship because she was seeing his activity over and over again, culminating in the baby. She pondered them. She thought about them. She wondered about them. And it took a while, I imagine. I imagine it was not one of those activities where Mary got a quiet place in the corner of, of the room that she was in, sat for five minutes and say, okay, I'm good, I got it figured out. I imagine it took some time, it took some effort. I mean, what do you do with all this stuff, right? An angel shows up. I'm sorry, but if an angel showed up in my life somehow or other, I think it would take me a good long time to figure out what that all meant. I think if, if, if all of a sudden a gun, bunch of Harley Davidson riders showed up at my house and wanted to make sure that they said my son was special, I might take some time to work through that too. It's in essence what happened with the shepherds. And eventually the magi who come and worship Christ. You can imagine this took time for Mary to process. But in her pondering, she's doing something important. She's getting a right understanding. See, that's, that's the challenge that we can often face, right? I know there are people who ponder things often. And they, unfortunately, in their pondering, go down areas that hurt them or trap them. We start to blame people, right? When we ponder things that have happened, we start to, to ask the question, the great horrible question, what if? What if is a pondering question? But Mary wasn't doing that. Her pondering moved her to say, God did. Each one of the activities, angel sent because God sent him. I became pregnant, why? Because God did it. Joseph stayed, why? Because God spoke. We came to Bethlehem, why? Because God commanded. I had the child because God was present. She came to a right understanding of God's activity because she was allowing her mind, her thoughts, her ponderings to take her places where God, she could see his movement because she took off her blinders and said, but what about me? But what about this? But what about this? She said, what is God doing here? That's where we gain right understanding. And for us to think even through the activities of our day, because today is the 25th, but guess what? Tomorrow's the 26th and Christmas is over. And in two weeks, you're back to work. And in two months, you've forgotten about Christmas trees and you probably can't even say the words to Frosty the Snowman anymore. All this stuff moves on. But for us to have a right understanding about what God is doing right now, why is God doing what he is doing in your world? But that takes right understanding and right eyes to see. God, you show me. God, you speak. Allow me to ponder in your will, your presence, your thinking, and not my own. It's interesting, we have this one song, and it's not my favorite Christmas song. It's that Mary Did You Know song. Anyone really like that song? I'm sorry. Yeah, you did that just to bug me, didn't you? Oh, you do? Oh, good. 
I'm glad you do. I don't, it's not my favorite song. In part because I think, I don't know that it's a valid question. I don't know that the question that is asked of the song is really valid. Mary, did you know? Wait, she had heard from an angel. Wait, Elizabeth had taught her. Hold on here, shepherds had come and spoken what they had heard from angels. God had shown up over and over in her life. Did Mary know the full extent of the story? No, of course not. She couldn't know that there was going to come a day when Christ was in 29 or 30 years old, when she was going to go up to him at a wedding and say, they need you, and his miracles would begin and his ministry would start. She couldn't know that. She couldn't know that that someday, someday that her son was going to get himself, there were going to be people angry at him enough to take him. Flog him, imprison him, condemn him, execute him. That she would watch him die a guilty man's death. Could she know that? No. But did she know that something extraordinary was here? That Christ had shown up, that God's promise was real, and that God was going to continue to be with her through the process of being a mother to Jesus Mary, did she know? Yes, she did. Because she had been told and taught. She had been shown. Al, do you know? Debbie, do you know? Patsy, do you know? Do you know God's love? It's not a valid question. It's not a real one because you do. We do, if we have eyes to see, ears to hear, we know that God's love is real and powerful in our life. And yes, we have questions. Yeah, you got doubts. And I know there are some of you who are in church this morning because someone asked you to be here. You didn't really want to come. But I, I'm, I'm standing here telling you the fact that you're here, hearing my voice is a reminder that you know God's love because I'm telling it to you. The reason that we look at this story from Luke chapter 2 and we hear about a baby coming to a backwoods part of the world to an anonymous young woman is because God loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough to give you everything. And for you and I to ask the question, Oh, sure, we can add, and no, we need to go through the process. We need to ponder. We need to wonder. We have our doubts. We have, I get it. I understand. But hear me here. The answer to the question, does God love me, always is yes. Why? Because Jesus. Because, that's the answer, because Jesus because Bethlehem, because angels and shepherds and Joseph and Magi. Do you know God's love? Yeah, you do, because Jesus. And he does love you. And he will never, ever, ever stop loving you. And Mary needs that promise. Why? Because her work isn't done yet, right? Right? She's not done. She's got the whole gospel. She's got the whole story. She's got the whole lifetime. See, that's one other interesting thing about Mary that I was thinking about this week. We bring Mary out at, East, or at Christmas, right? 
Here she is. Hey, look, here's Mary. Then we put her away for a good long time. And then maybe we bring her out at Easter. And maybe that one story where she shows up with Jesus' brothers. But other than that, we don't talk about Mary very much. But remember, she's got 33 more years of work being a mom. And one of the things that I understand really quickly about being a mom is the person that you are the mother to reflects what it is that you have given to them as a mother. Now, yes, I understand Jesus is unique. He is the son of God, but he's also the son of Mary. And Mary's got something to say about who Jesus is becoming. And she's living into 33 years of helping Jesus become Jesus. Now, I don't know how that all worked. I don't know to what degree. I don't know how the influence worked. But I can imagine that at five years old, that Mary had something to speak into the life of Jesus that made him more fully into who he was as a human being. That at 14, she spoke things into his life. She still had work to do. She had to be reminded that God's love, covenant, faithful promises were still at work in her because she still had a job to do. And for you and I to constantly hear that, yes, tomorrow when Christmas is over, God's faithfulness, covenant promises are still at work. Two weeks from now when you're back at work and all this stuff is done. Three months from now when you've forgotten about Christmas. God's covenant promises, his faithfulness are still at work. Living into that is the work that we do. We trust that his faithfulness and his love is still very very real. And then we finish out with, she pondered them in her heart. Now, one of the interesting things about in her heart is it doesn't say she got it right in her head. She didn't get the thoughts right. Because really, thoughts, and I know it goes together, and I know it's not just one or the other, but when you believe something in your heart, it's sort of that gut feeling. Does anyone here live off their gut way more than their head? Does anyone? I do. If I feel it, If I believe it in sort of the marrow of my bones, the the heart of hearts, I live into it. That can get me into trouble sometimes. I get it. But you know what? That is the seat in my life where if I believe it here, you're going to get all of me. You're going to get everything. I can believe, I can have the right thoughts in my head, but if I don't have it here, you're only going to get a little bit. You're only going to get a part. You're only going to get a little fraction. But when I believe it here, when it's in my heart to the fullest, to the completeness that, that, that it can be, you're going to get me full bore. Everything that I got, all my energy. And that's where God was speaking to Mary in her heart. You are the mother of, the, of my child. You have, you have care of him while he is in diapers. You are to make sure that he doesn't go close to the hot stove. You are the one who gives him things to learn as an adolescent and as a preteen and as a teen and as a young adult. You are the one who can speak it. Yes, Joseph. Yes, others. I get it. But you are mom. And here it is. Here's your job. Do you believe it? And in her heart, Mary says, yeah. 
Amen. Let's go. I have, after doing some study on Mary, tremendous, tremendous respect for her. She's a 14, 15, 16-year-old young woman whose life has been turned upside down. She has gone from a nobody to one that generations speak of and call blessed. She is someone whose name is on the lips of billions of people every day. Why? Because she treasured up these things and she pondered them in her heart. And then she went and lived it. Folks, you've got the day today. And I don't know what your day looks like. I know there's probably some of you, you're just trying to keep your schedule straight. We got here, we got here, we got there, we got eat here, do this, do that. I get it. My prayer, my hope for you is that half an hour, maybe, maybe even 20 minutes today, that there can be some place, some space, Maybe, maybe in a part of your house, maybe sitting outside, maybe taking a walk, maybe on the drive that you have to make, that you can walk through that journey that Mary did on some level, asking these questions. What has God done in your life? How has he shown his faithfulness to you? How has he spoken into your world? How is he calling you to be used by him in the world that you live in to show the world Jesus? That's what this young lady did. And she got to then be a part of the story that will be spoken of until a trumpet sounds and everything changes. And we have, in a very different way, the very same opportunity. Friends, ponder these things. Treasure them in your heart. Let's pray. The answer is you, Father. The answer is you, Son, the answer is you, Spirit, to the questions that we have of whether you love us. And I know, Lord, that there are people here for whom those answers are not sufficient. There are people here who are struggling, just walking through this whole Christmas thing and what they believe. I pray, Father, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, through the presence that only you can bring, that you speak to their hearts, that seat of belief, that seat of buy-in, that seat of all of us, to speak to hearts in such a way that you make your truth, your love and your grace known. That in their ponderings, Lord, they come to meet you. I pray that for all of us. For some, that truth is as real a thing as we can possibly know. We live in it every day. We celebrate it. We worship you because of it. I pray that you meet those as well. Lord, make their joy complete. Continue your work in them, preparing them for what is ahead. 
trials, joys, challenges, whatever. Lord, meet us in that place of pondering, wondering what you are doing and how you are doing it so that ultimately, Lord, we can come to that place like Mary of simply submitting to your plan, living into it, and being a part of your story. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do because of Jesus. We pray that you do it today. In Christ, amen.